Listeners, start your engines. Batman Begins. Let's tone it down. Franchise Detours, episode 33. Rob here on this <laughs> on this episode. Uh, we will get into the voice, trust me. As we start this new mega series uh, on the Dark Knight trilogy from director Christopher Nolan. This is the beginning of that. Literally, Batman Begins in this episode. So you can look forward to film critic Win Lee and I diving deep into Gotham City, where this franchise was prior to Nolan picking it up, how Batman Begins changed the shape of this character's public perception, as well as superhero cinema in general. Lots to get into. Two hugely successful sequels ahead. Very excited to welcome these guests and delve into, I would say, probably the uh, definitive is a hard word to use for Batman, but Certainly the most popular, the most lucrative, let's put it that way, the most lucrative version of Batman to date. Uh, We will see how Pattinson's run ends up being. As always, you can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2005's Batman Begins. Tell us, Mr. Wayne. What do you fear? How do you know my name? The world is too small for someone like Bruce Wayne to disappear. Your parents' death was not your fault. My parents deserve justice. I cannot let that pass. If you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Which is a legend, Mr. Wayne. Master Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Rachel? You were gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? Nomex survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar utility harness, gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? On the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. I already were back. But the man I loved. The man who vanished never came back. He's here. Who? The Batman. God, that must be destroyed. Gotham isn't beyond saving. It's over! 
dresses up like a bat clearly has issues. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are zooming into Gotham City for a brand new mega series. This time taking on the 2005's Batman Begins as we go through the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. If we did all the Batman movies, that would just be a totally separate podcast. And we just never, <laughs> never stop co- covering Batman movies because there's a new one every 10 minutes. Uh, and I'm honored to welcome to the show as we take this stop off in the narrows of Gotham City, Wen Lee. Welcome back. It's been a long time since, well, this is your first time on this show, but Welcome back to the Crooked Table Productions family, I guess. Yep, it is very nice to be back. Thank you for having me back, first of all. And um, well, yeah, it has been such a long time because I remember the last time that, uh, you know, that we met, we were shoplifting. Yes, AKA, we were. No, not not the real thing. Don't talk <laughs> on us. It was to discuss the... Um, the wonderful uh, shoplifters film from uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, and um, it was, it was. I hope it was an uh, uh, an enlightening chat because to me it was. So no, it was a lot of fun, and, and it's it's one of those things that it's, I've been meaning to bring you back on for a while since then, but it's just like I don't know. I, it's it just hasn't happened. So this time when I was looking for guests for this one, I was like, you know what? I need to get I need to get Win Lee back on here because. We had such a great time talking about that, and I, you know, I wanted to kind of get you back in the fold uh, of you know recurring guests on this show. So hopefully, you'll you'll be uh, gracious enough to to come back on the show on a, a later date, either here or Close Watch, our sister show. Uh, you know, and as we we delve into all these movies, you you mentioned just before this call the Final Destination franchise, and I'm like, oh crap, I should add that to my my document of all these different franchises that eventually I'll get to. So I'm sure we'll find something for you before that. But in the yeah. meantime, tell tell people who you are and what you've got going on. I know you have uh, you have your your own online portfolio, but you're writing a bunch of different places. At least you were last time we spoke. Yep, I know. Um... Well, one of my dream places to write would be uh, whichever paper that is in Gotham. What was it? The Gotham Daily? Never mind. Gazette, maybe? I feel like they're going to I, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I may be mixing up the Daily Bugle, but uh, that's, um, you know, people will be angry. So I'll, I'll shut up about it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop the joke before it gets <laughs> what? It becomes a non-joke, kind of. So, uh, yeah, uh, you are right. And uh, sometimes I am shocked. Uh, you know, I, I shock myself, to be honest. Like, wow, I'm writing for a lot of places. So, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so you can find uh, my works at uh, Fangoria, Slash Film, Awards Watch, uh, Inverse, Jump Cut Online, uh, the young folks in session film, so on and so forth. Should I go on? Because <laughs> Any, anywhere there are film reviews or criticism, Winley is there. Yes, and uh, especially uh, you know any place that would be um, interested in um, uh, how, how do I say this succinctly? I mean, um, you know, sometimes certain films touch on. Vietnam or Vietnamese mm. culture and I believe that that is kind of like an under seen or under covered 
not quite well covered. That's a better word. Not quite well covered uh, area in um, films. So if uh, there's a if there's a place that is interested in that, for example, like most recently the Spool, um, then you know I just hope that they'll have me on and um, that what I can offer will illuminate certain things. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, every time you and I interact, it, it I always learn something. So I, I, uh, I again, I appreciate you being on here. I'm sorry it took so long, and it's funny that you mentioned the Daily Bugle because this is this with this biggest series, we're sort of kind of quasi bookending this year. We or earlier this year, not not the first mega series we did, but the second of 2022 was the Sam Raimi Spider Man franchise that that trilogy, and now we're sort of almost closing it out with the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, I would say two of the most impactful uh, trilogies or, or, you know, runs of films for either of the franchises, but certainly beyond that, just comic book superhero movies in general. What is, before we get into Batman Begins, what is your history with this character uh, that had, you know, prior to this been around for 70 years? What was your big introduction to the dark knight himself and then we'll we'll talk about batman begins all right so um i guess what i can tell you and listeners now is that um when uh, batman begins uh came out i was still uh, living in vietnam and during all my years in vietnam um batman was never the super guy on my mind You know, Mm -hmm. I was all in for Spider-Man. And to me, Spider-Man is the only hero in existence. How silly I was, right? (laughs) But, but yeah. And then suddenly, uh, and then suddenly, you know, there's just like, oh, there's a new superhero on the block. And, you know, uh, and it's, and it's going to be, it's going to star one of my favorite actors at the time, Christian Bale. And then, you know, he's going to be Batman. And I was like, okay, who is this? And then um, I guess this is also a good point to reveal my very first brush with The Dark Knight. It was uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns. Uh, okay. uh, if I hope I, I hope I got the... There, there, there have been so many films. I just hope I got that the title correct. It's the yes. one with uh, Danny DeVito as the it Penguin is. and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And Michelle Pfeiffer, if you hear this, I love you. You are gorgeous, and I am free on Thursday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just Thursday. You, cl- you clear your schedule for Michelle Pfeiffer. Is what it is. She tells you when she's free, and you make yourself available. Yeah, I know. I'm saying Thursday now, but then, you know, if she says that, no, Thursday is not available, I'm available Tuesday, and I'll be like, okay, sure, I'm, I'm free. Th- I'm free Tuesday all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. When do you need me around, Michelle? <laughs> no, I, I love that Batman Returns was your introduction to this this character. That's one of the Batman films that I feel like has grown in uh, appreciation so much over time, because when it came out, it did well, but I think it was seen as sort of a a bit of a financial, uh, you know, commercial disappointment at the box office because it didn't do as well as uh, the 89 Batman. And then it was so dark and the parents were like, you know, not too pleased about that. The whole movie is about the penguin wanting to murder children. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and some of the violence was a little more intense and the, you know, 
the the merchandising tied to that that film, you know, there was a little bit of a backlash. Hence, Batman Forever. And I think it's funny because this franchise is such a microcosm of how Hollywood works. You know, you get get the Adam West Batman in the 60s and everybody's like, oh, this is silly. We love it. But kids grow up with that and they're like, no, this is serious business. He has to catch the penguin. We have to wait till next bad time. Then for the same same bad time at the same bad channel, like what's going on? Um, So those people, those kids grow up with that. And they were they take it seriously. So by the time we get to '89 and his official like big screen, you know, Hollywood movie, uh, it's all dark and brooding, kind of building off of the Frank Miller uh, Dark Knight Returns or Dark Knight, yeah, Dark Knight Returns and and Year One, which is obviously a big influence on Batman Begins, and then Returns doubles down on the darkness, and then Forever bounces back in the opposite direction, and Batman and Robin sinks it lower. Where when when you get to this, they're like, nope, we're going back to the darkness. This was eight years after Batman and Robin. And it took that long for Christopher Nolan to come around and be like, yeah, but what if the shit was real, though? Like, what if we took it seriously? <laughs> what, if, what if there wasn't supernatural and goofy? Uh, so coming from, as if Batman Returns is your introduction to this character, that movie has the darkness, but it also has the pulpiness. It also has the, the, the kind of... Uh, the like wacky Tim Burton aesthetic and right. uh, everything is sort of offbeat and macabre humor and everything's a little uh, a little gross and a little in your face, particularly with the <laughs> penguin. Uh, I'm thinking of the nose scene, but there's also like the black goo that he when he's when he's dying. Uh, this yes. is not a mega series yes. on that on that that version. That, that, that traumatized me. This is dark, but in a different way and it, the cliche word now is gritty um, uh, of course everything's grounded. gritty and grounded yeah that. exactly so how did how did this movie play for you coming off of batman returns is your your impression and therefore i'm assuming shaped your perception of what this character was um well i well since you know division was kind of like uh, okay let's uh you know as you've mentioned okay like let's retool this character into someone who's more relatable and even though like the um he's still out there fighting crimes and stop evil that is going to be more like uh on the surface the real journey the one that you should be invested in is the emotional one it's the spiritual one and um i just thought that they uh they accomplished it uh, you know like very very, very good, like with flying colors, with colors flying on top of the flying colors. Th- that's what I would say. Um, because when the film, uh, throughout the film, and obviously, like, right when it's over, um, Christian Bale's Batman is, you know, I I totally, I, I totally believe that this is a person that I would meet, that I would see down the street, or at the very least, I would see on uh, I would see on TV, and there's there's a great um, how do you say it? Like you know, there are some certain people that you see, and then all of a sudden you feel like you can be close to that person, you can have proximity with that person, or you can have a barrier between you and that person. Right. For this one, for this character. I know he's a billionaire. I know he has uh, he has flying gadgets and all that sort of stuff. But I feel close to him. I I feel like I could be close to him. 
even though I know that he's never going to be tangible uh, within any uh, within any reality that uh, uh, I'm that I'm a part of. But I feel I feel this Batman is a human. You know, I feel this yeah. Batman is uh, is a is a person. It, it's a and which is ironic because you know the film is about like oh becoming an idea and all that sort of stuff but right. at the end of the day i feel like this is a human being he just wears his costume and do weird stuff at night that's all yeah it, it's weird because it's it's almost 70 years into this character's history and it feel it's the first movie of several certainly in live action you know uh, mm-hmm. the animated stuff is just too vast to get into now <laughs> Um, that's a whole other thing. Um, but certainly in live action, the first movie to actually focus on Bruce Wayne, to actually tell the story of Bruce Wayne. Like, right. Yeah, we know who Batman is. We know his his rivalry with the Joker and the Riddler and, you know, uh, and the Penguin and Catwoman. And those are like the four main villains that we keep seeing used over and over and over again, including up until... 2022's The Batman, which, spoilers for a a scene late in the film, features all four of them uh, at varying points. The first time they've all been in a a live-action movie since 1966. Um, But here, I think Nolan was... His whole approach is the emotional journey of Bruce Wayne. It's about sort of getting personal with that character. It's, It's stripping away the artifice and the stylistic touches that people like Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher for better or worse bring to that character, bring to Gotham city. And that's, I think that's sort of what I was getting at when I was saying it's, it feels, you know, darker, but also like you're saying more realistic and, and straightforward. It's very earnest. It's a very earnest, straightforward movie. It doesn't, there's no winking. There's very little winking to camera or anything like that. And in that way, it makes total sense that in my research for this episode, I, I discovered that Christopher Nolan's basis for this was Superman the movie, which similarly mm-hmm. takes a, who is this this person that came from a, a dying planet and how, how did they get to be where they are? Where in that film and in this film, there's no costume until roughly the halfway point. And I think that is so pivotal that it opens up with this flashback with young Bruce falling into down the well and discovering the bats. And then it's the pure Nolan structure where we're just ping-ponging back and forth throughout this guy's life. Him and him and Ducard, which we'll we'll keep that uh we'll keep that reveal under wraps for now. <laughs> we'll get there. Right. Um, him and Ducard and then him being and him being trained back and forth between, you know, him as a child, him coming back to for the hearing and all this other stuff. And I think I, I think that really creates that sense of immediacy and urgency with that character's journey, but also fills in all the gaps of what we have really never seen before on screen. And Right. And also it's just uh, that kind of, uh, that kind of structure or, you know, if we were, you know, if we're talking specifics, then uh, what the structure reveals, um, it lets us kind of like render rendered this Batman slash Bruce Wayne character as someone who has kind of like a full life, you know? He has Mm -hmm. a past. He has a present that will decide where his future goes. I mean, um, 
it all sounds it all sounds very you know <laughs> esoteric. I know, but it's because you know we all know the journey, the hero's journey in the blockbusters. We know what the future shall be. But then, um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is just that. Uh, what Nolan and we also, I guess, we also have to do a shout out to uh, David Goyer as well. So yep. you know, both of them, both of them really fleshed out this this man part behind the bat. And so again, going back to what I said earlier about the great relatability, that has always been found because you know, for the previous Batman's, you can always kind of like find a. Uh, a point where you can, where you as a viewer can latch onto. And that's why that particular Batman is relatable to you. But then here it's a different kind of related, uh, relatability. It's the kind that, um, you know, again, it has to do with uh, distance and closeness. You, you can, you feel like you can meet this guy at some mm-hmm. point, your paths and his can cross rather than, Someone who's totally can only be on the page, but is now in a different uh, form of storytelling. If if you get my meaning, I'm sorry if I'm being confusing. No, 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 no. I, I totally get that. I totally oh, yeah. understand that. And I think the the distinction is that it takes that time to let you get to know that man and answers all the questions that you never knew. The answers to there's an, uh, a way of just coming into a superhero film, especially a superhero as well known as Batman, without having to do the whole origin story again, obviously. <laughs> but there's been you know, a lot has been said about oh, the Wayne's getting murdered, and it's in every movie every five years. We see that those pearls falling on the ground again, and this has that, but it's uh, it you never got to know what Bruce Wayne was like as a child or as a young man, or the sort of the, the guilt that his, uh, his parents' death weighed on him, that, like, how that affected him emotionally, how that traumatized him. Yeah, we assume, oh, he's got a dark past. You know, we see in, in, the, in the 89 Batman, him stopping by like where they got shot in front of the theater and, and putting the flowers down. And, uh, you know, we get like inklings of that in the beginning of BVS, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. We get a little flashback of the Waynes, but this is the really the only live action film to fully explore. Well, how, how does that change him? How does that, what kind of, how does that stunt him as a, as a man emotionally? Where did he get all these gadgets from? How was he able to, to learn how to fight? Like, where did all that come from? And it's in the comics, but if you don't read the comics, you don't know who the hell Ra's al Ghul is until you see this movie. And I think that's, that's a big deal that Nolan set the Joker and everyone, all the, the most famous villains aside to be like, no, we're going to focus in on his journey. Where is his backstory? What did he, where did he come from? And created, I think, if not the definitive version of Batman altogether, because there's so many versions of this character from, you know, uh, Batfleck to Lego Batman and everything in between. <laughs> and I think you and I probably agree that, you know, all Batman are valid. Like there, there's so many comics that have, represented him every single different way that you know it's you can't be like well this is the right way to, to play the character i'm like no it's it depends what your what your take on the material is but certainly right. the at least cinematically the definitive origin story i'd say for this character in a way that Raimi's spider-man did in a way that donner's superman the movie did like when you think of that character's origin this is going to be the film you think of mm-hmm. yeah i i totally i totally agree on that too 
And um, it is also, I have to say, a really a really good starting point for uh, someone who has never known Batman before as, uh, as well. Because um, I remember when the film uh, came out uh, on uh, you know DVD and home media, and I uh, I introduced it to my to to other members of my to other family members. Uh, they they are they have never had any interest in you know. Uh, superhero films or some of them I remember specifically they said that they have absolutely no stake in Batman because uh, for whatever reason you know it's mm-hmm. but this one when I asked them it, it's a very interesting answer they they all have very interesting answers that I can all sum them up into they can watch this film in a way that makes them forget they are watching Batman. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? So sure, this is Batman Begins. It's all right there in the title. <laughs> <laughs> but um for some reason when they watch this film they can they can see they can see the person beneath the mask more like. While I think um most of them have have always had trouble with um uh have trouble connecting to superhero films uh it's because they would always uh see the costume first mm-hmm. and i mean it it makes sense it it's it's a valid observation it's it's neither it's neither a compliment or it's neither a slight but Obviously, I guess it's more slight leaning than uh, <laughs> complimentary, but that's the that's the that's the um, that's the outcome of the approach uh, that uh, of, of this film, I guess, on them. Yeah. So I just thought that it's really fascinating. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's easy to get caught up in the iconography of these characters. Uh, particularly again, one as well known as Batman. I mean, you mentioned Spider Man. We talked about Superman. Those those three are so well known already as as it is that you could be like, eh, I don't know, guy in a costume, not not my thing for sure. Uh, I well, I got a definitive answer from the those family members about uh-huh. why they could they connect to Superman because they said that who the heck wears their underpants outside? So <laughs> you know, basically, it's like that. So yeah, <laughs> but it, it's I think it's something that uh, you, you know if the the Superman Superman the movie started was is the granddaddy of all comic book movies, and then I guess Batman eighty nine is is the daddy, uh, which sounds weird. Um, <laughs> I guess I would Keep say going. I mean I'm drawing a family tree here, so <laughs> go ahead. This this movie it kind of coupled with Iron Man a couple years later, it really sort of. Well, not even this movie. I would say X-Men was the one of the first ones. Blade, you know, it, it brought Marvel back and made them uh a, a you know a Hollywood player to be to to be sure. But X-Men had that sort of humanizing approach. I think that's something that the humanizing of the character and taking the stripping away the costume and the weapons and the villains and the powers or whatever, I think that movie really is something that that film proved could be done and that you could, if you, 
if you let people in on who those characters are emotionally, what are the, what are their vulnerabilities? What is see their humanity? Then you, then people will go see a movie about a tree and a raccoon, or you know, we're basically just getting the Rock with lightning bolt on his chest. You know, later this month as we're recording this, you make it accessible to the audience, and I think that's why we're living in such a golden age of superhero content, whether it's movies or television or, or what have you that everyone has sort of gotten the, oh, that's the hurdle we need to get past. We need to bring people, assume that they don't know what the hell a Batman is and bring them in with that character uh, and, and, you know, see that character for who, for who they really are underneath all of that. And I think that's, this movie was one of, it's probably one of the best examples of that as we're sort of getting into. Yeah. And um, I would just say that it's, uh, even though, yeah, even though the popular story, I guess, it's that, you know, Batman Begins was conceived because Batman and Robin was uh, not so warmly received. Right. So it is, uh, this one stems from a total, like, um, market observation, a business decision. Yeah, but but then uh, in the end, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, still, it still allows... Um, creativity you know artistry to have more say to have the final word on the what the final product will look like and that is something i would say fewer and fewer superhero films are exercising so you know it used to be so yeah, it used to be the fact that, oh, hey, everyone, you know, superhero films, they are kind of like the meal of the season, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just something that's worth waiting for. It's just, it's just something that would, you know, give you pause when you go out and buy tickets. But over time, I guess, uh, the business part, once again, takes something that is, that's supposed to uh, contribute artistically can, uh, that is supposed to be uh, nourishing uh, creatively into something that's just you know straight up um, uh, stats and uh, yes no boxes. So <laughs> yeah, I think the di- the distinction is this this definitely feels reactionary. And there was eight years where they were tossing around doing a fifth movie with Joel Schumacher or. Uh, doing a Batman Beyond movie or doing a Batman versus Superman back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it it's reactionary, but it doesn't feel, as sort of what I think you're getting at, it doesn't feel like it's born out of a market research. It feels like, if anything, it the, the franchise being so sort of low on the totem pole at that point worked to Nolan's advantage because he could do whatever the hell he wanted. Otherwise, the studio would have come in. It would have been like a sort of Spider-Man 3 scenario where they're like, nope, you got to include this character and this character and this is what the fans want, that kind of thing. And he got to use Ra's al Ghul. He got to use Scarecrow. He got to use characters who are not, you know, who my parents had never heard of until we saw this movie, you know? And and in that way, and filmmakers and, and actors pay lip service to this a lot, but I feel like it does feel like this movie was born from theme first, what is the theme? What is the story about? What is driving this character? And then based on that, brought in the villains and, and, and you know, sort of the fleshed it out from, from there. Because this, this trilogy is all 
boils down to single word themes. And, and Nolan has said this. this is, and the theme of this one is fear. And you mm-hmm. can see that so much constantly in this movie. And that's once you know that and you watch this film, you see everything. It's in a completely different light. The Scarecrow's gas uses fear. These, the, the, the League of Shadows weaponize the fear of the people and use it against them. But so does Batman, who's motivated by his own fear that he has to cut. It's like all of that. What do you think of like the thematics of this film and how that it's so rich and focused in that way that, that none, not, a, not a single moment of this film feels superfluous. It just all of it's so focused on that one element and sort of uh, the different characters, how they're engaging with fear. Ha. Huh. That's a very good question. And I didn't think that it would get this uh, philosophical, but <laughs> okay, I'm game. Um, <clears throat> fear, focusing on it, I guess it's really, it's a really good approach. And it's about, uh, you know, it really aims at the, at your, how do we say it? basis of instincts if uh yeah. if that's the right phrase but anyway it's just um you know using that and i would say making fear as kind of like the the, uh, the 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 deciding factor for our character to choose whether to become someone become someone nobler or become someone lower is um, it's also interesting because you know again I grew up on Spider-Man I always thought about you know the the the, the deciding factor is responsibility and responsibility being the only deciding factor but then here comes um, Batman Begins and re- replacing that politely very politely and very elegantly replacing rep- responsibility and you know they, the, the film was just asking me uh, how about I put fear in that place and you know what it works it works very well because um, because the script itself is I would say in retrospect the writing is not exactly subtle so no it's it's pretty blatant it's like fear you know you always fear what you don't understand like the yeah. city will tear itself apart through fear like you must conquer your fear it's like yeah. so much but then i would have to, but then i I, I would have to say that um it also speaks to uh, nolan's genius as well that you know the supporting cast are just about as high profile as bail or as well actors as bail you know we we all have uh, debates uh, regarding uh, which actors famous uh, is more famous than the other one but you know basically surrounding bail is a very stacked and you know you know well well credentialed people oh, absolutely no it so, so you know that yeah. the way that they delivered the blatantness of all of it feels very huh they were just talking to me very naturally. I it, it doesn't feel pedantic. So, right. so yeah. Again, uh, rolling back to <laughs> rolling back to what you uh, said about the um, you know the uh, uh, you know the thematic current of fear. Um, see, 
and because of the fact that it's it's not subtle, let's use that. <laughs> uh, the fact that it's not subtle makes it really um, makes it really upfront, makes it really straightforward with you. As in, um, and I don't know if it speaks to the uh, the 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 audience uh, taste at at the time as well. Is that you know they they want to feel they want to feel something, and that something can only be be delivered to them as as close to facts as possible, mm-hmm. as uh, real as possible, as um, having the proximity of they being a diner and then whatever will deliver the message is just sitting across the table, kind of like proximity. And if that's the case, then obviously it, checks all the boxes it it says something about anything and then you react to it accordingly so when it speaks about fear in that straightforward of a manner suddenly you feel you feel tense and you feel like you have to kind of like make a make a similar choice as batman slash bruce wayne does in the film as well yeah. Will you run from it or will you rise above? And I, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's the, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves up again. Like the, this, like, as we were saying, this screenplay is not, it, it's very set up and payoff kind of classical storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, except for the structure, like we said, the first half is sort of the first 40 minutes, 40 minutes until he gets on that plane with Alfred to go back to, uh, to Gotham, and then it's a good hour until we see the suit. And so, right. other than that part of it, it's it's very clearly Nolan wanting to tell his emotional story about Bruce Wayne's journey to becoming Batman. And I think the the big thesis statement scene for this movie is the one on the plane with with Alfred when he's you know saying it's like, oh, as a man, I could be killed, I could be destroyed, but as an idea, is like you know, I need to I need to become a symbol. Basically, that's the, the thing. And that's part of why, why the fear as a chief theme of this film works so well in that Batman isn't supposed to be, you know, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's supposed to, and, I'm, and I just said earlier, not all Batman, are, all Batman are valid. And now I'm like, he's supposed to be this. <laughs> but in, in this version of, the, of Gotham City, he is depicted as the, the legendary figure in a way that we haven't seen since 89's Batman. You get to Batman and Robin and he's whipping out like a bat credit card and showing up at charities, balls as like a guest of honor and shit like that. Um, and then you get here and and... He is once again sort of this element of fear that stalks the 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 dark corners of Gotham City and that has the henchmen in this movie throughout sort of speculating, uh, oh, I've heard he, you know, I heard he he's you know, he's a man, or I heard he's something else, or kind of wondering what what the Batman's deal is. And what I love about this film is that so what is so brilliant about it is not only do you have that run through Arkham Asylum, which I, for me really really sells like the fact that that he is going to be sort of a looming specter for all these criminals. But then when he's flying over the city at the end and there the whole city has been gassed, everyone is now seeing this demon bat in the sky, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is perpetuating the fact that they're like, oh, the Batman, be scared of him. He's not just a man. It's perpetuating the legend. And I, and I love that. And so it's Nolan 
creating this emotional journey for this character, but also being very aware that this is his chance to do like a big blockbuster movie and making sure that we have the big chase scene, that we have the very, like the satisfying uh, setup payoff moments with the, um, right before the moment I just mentioned where he says to Rachel, it's not who I am underneath, it's what I do that defines me and Mm -hmm. jumps off. Or the, at the end, all the denouement stuff, we get the, didn't you get the memo? And it's all a bit technical, but the future of my company, all that stuff is so obviously designed to be the cheering moments. And we haven't even mentioned the Joker card. So it, right. it's, <laughs> it's working on two different levels as a, a sort of character study, but as a crowd-pleasing blockbuster. And I, and I think right. yes. once, once he lays that foundation, the Dark Knight just doubles down on that. <laughs> yep, I would say I would say you got it. And um, which reminds me, uh, when you mentioned the uh, you know the scene where you know everybody you know already gasped and looking up and then seeing Batman as kind of like yeah. a you know a, a bat demon, it takes me back. As in, um, when I first saw that moment in theaters, I think I was actually more uh, tense and unnerved than. Yeah. Everything that happened in um, Batman Returns, you know, Batman Returns, the black goo was kind of like traumatizing for me, but maybe for like just a couple of hours. But yeah. then the, uh, but then some of the fear sequences here, they stayed with me for like a couple <laughs> of days. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's it's so airtight uh, thematically that that we have all of that stuff. Uh, Connecting, even the way that the League of Shadows, which again, the first time we've ever had a Batman villain that's really an organization, and and you know, there's the figurehead that is, I guess, technically the central villain of the film, but it's really the League of Shadows as an organization, which is something I think a lot of people are hoping they do for the Batman too, uh, with the Court of Owls. I think that would be a smart way to go. But I love that it's it's a, a system versus Batman. It's Batman literally fighting. A system, yes, uh, of oppression on this on this uh, on this city, a system that was indirectly responsible for his parents' deaths, as it turns out, as well. Right, and uh, the fact that, well, yeah, the, yeah, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's uh, it's kind of like a sad fact that you know, eventually, I I don't know if it's a if it's a good place to say it yet, but we realize that you know, Ken Watanabe is not exactly right. the leader of the League of Shadows, which, I mean, that has always rubbed me the wrong way. I was going to... Because, you know, it does plays well uh, to the, um, you know, it does plays into the idea that, you know, idea, uh, iconography is stronger than presence. But, you know... Turns out to be just another like white guy leading a yes. uh, leading an organization that's meant to be someone with uh, you know <laughs> with uh, Asian origins. It's just ah, that's a missed opportunity. But okay, well, I hundred percent, hundred percent agree. It's it's very like Liam Neeson is great in this movie, and and I do enjoy the I do enjoy when a film that's seemingly that riffs on someone that could have supernatural abilities and has it be like, no, they're, they're actually, you know, it's just a, an illusion. It's a, like, you know, parlor tricks to, to like he says in the movie Bruce does. Uh, so I love, I like the twist part of it, but it does, 
especially nowadays, it's aged even worse than it was in 2005, <laughs> going back and you're like, oh boy. And it's frustrating because Ken Watanabe would have been a really cool Ra's al Ghul for the, the duration of the film. Right. Uh, so there's a way they could have done that where that char- that character survived for whatever reason. Instead, they, you know, seemingly piss off fans by discarding him in the first half hour and then <laughs> and then piss off more fans by having, you know, uh, a, a white man and be like, nope, I'm the, you know, I'm the one Asian villain character from a Batman comic, at least one of the major ones. <laughs> and it's disappointing as a fan of Ken Watanabe because it's also kind of like what they did in Iron Man 3, where you, you had all this marketing with oh, Ben Kingsley that. as the Mandarin. And you're like, well, Ben Kingsley would have that. That looked like a, an interesting version of that character that they were trying to adapt. And mm-hmm. instead, they're like, nope, just kidding. Guy Pierce is the Mandarin kind of. And then they, you know, till Shang-Chi where they where they brought it back around a little bit. But it, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not a, a good look. Yeah, but I would say... Eventually, when we find out that you know it's uh, actually Wenwu all along, then it's um, right. it's a good it's a good fix. It's a good save, but but was yeah, that the wait, plan wait. from the beginning? I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. But then it's just like you know, I've been waiting for this uh, course correction. It's been a while, but okay, I'll take it. At least yeah. it's, uh, at least it's here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but they they made it right in the end. But initially, you're like, oh, really. Yes. Yes. Of course. <laughs> That's a bummer. But you know, I I, uh, I agree. I I think it's it's very conflicting because, like I said, I like the twist. I think Liam Neeson's great in this, but it's also it was an opportunity to not have a white guy as the as the main villain <laughs> in this film yet again. Uh, but but yeah. So there's there's that. But I think this, that's kind of a good jumping off point to talk more about this cast. Uh, we. We sort of alluded to, you know, this, the outstanding supporting cast here. Christian Bale was sort of a rising-ish star, like he is in things, but he wasn't Christian Bale like he is now. Uh, this is the, probably the film that really like made him a household name officially with, with even casual moviegoers. But you got Michael Caine and Liam Neeson, as we said, Gary Oldman, Killian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson, Rudger Howard, Ken Watanabe, Morgan Freeman. Like that's a, an a impressive, that's like an Oscar caliber cast, many of which were either winners or nominees or have since gone on to. Uh, a lot of people harp on, and I feel bad picking on her, but harp on Katie Holmes' performance in this film. How does it, fit for you do you think she works as rachel dawes or it's it's i was even saying this earlier today as i was rewatching this for this podcast i was telling my wife like i don't i feel bad about being like she sticks out but it because because she's only also the only woman in this movie like speaking mm-hmm. of representation there's no ladies in here at all except for rachel dawes and it's unfortunately the weakest performance in the film. Do you agree with that? What are your thoughts on Rachel Dawes, a character who was created for this movie? Um, well, I would say that, you know, I'm on the same page as you regarding that. I mean, Katie Holmes saying that she is bad. Um, no, I don't believe so. But yes, when standing next to, you know, the other cast members, yes, Objectively, she is, I have to say, uh, she is, you know, um, she is not on par. But, you know, regarding like to the point where, 
oh she's the reason that um, that the that brings this movie down then no never to she that doesn't, extent she doesn't bring it down i think for me for for me she just feels sort of miscast a bit and she's doing the best she can with it mm-hmm. i think it's also she also just has a very young face and i remember being in high school when she was on dawson's creek and she still looks way too young to be an assistant district attorney to me <laughs> uh, and so i think that's part of she doesn't fully embody that that role not to any fault of her own and she's not as you said she's not bad she just stands out because i feel like they i feel like nolan and the movie sort of stack the deck against her a bit by mm-hmm. putting her against all these other people and and that's why you know next episode people will hear me Talk about how I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is, is a, a better better fit for that role, mm-hmm. uh, just because she's her skill level is more on par with the the rest of the cast. But it's dicey when she's also a bit underwritten too. Exactly, song, I, I, I was I was about to follow up uh, your point with that as well because uh, you know the material that uh, that she was given wasn't exactly good either. I mean, uh, regarding age, yeah, sure, she looks she looks young, but then. You know, I, I've never had, let's just, you know, for the lack of a better word, I've never had any like, um, uh, you know, alarm bells going off regarding like, oh, uh, she's this young and then she's in this uh, kind of like holding, being a character holding this particular position. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've met people who are, you know, um, in you know similar to that where you know they're. Their skill level transcends their um, appearance, but right. it's just yeah. In a, I mean, in a cast that provides a whole lot of a whole lot of uh, base to their treb heavy, blatant, superficially written surface, Katie Holmes is the one that. I guess does not have does not provide as much base as the other people, mm-hmm. but does it mean that she's bad in this film? No, not to me. Right. But she just you know uh, you know in terms of deaths, she uh, I would say she's doing the best she can because we all agree that she was underwritten. So. If yeah. that makes sense. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's a, a criticism that a lot of people l- kind of levy at Nolan's films in general is that the women, a lot of the female roles or a lot of the women are, are in the movies to get either be damsels in distress or to get killed off off screen or, you know, in the, it's the, to fuel their backstories. They get, as people in the comic book world call it, they get fridged essentially. You can see this in Inception and <laughs> in Interstellar. And a lot of times that's what happens. To, oh my goodness. You know, and, and, and Memento even, even back to Memento. Um, it's so, I, mean, I think that's a, that's a legitimate criticism in a lot of respects. Yeah. But, you know, I would say I still haven't for, and you know, I don't, I don't care if people come at me after this, but I don't think I could, forgive Nolan for his treatment of uh, Elizabeth Debicki in Tenet because mm. wow what kind of uh, female character was that it's just like bullet points and Debicki you know being the professional that she is you know she she works with bullet points just fine <laughs> but that's all that 
she was given. So yeah. it's <clears throat> so the, more the, she, the more she tries, the more obvious that okay, she was given bullet points to work with. There we go. So. Right, exactly. So I think the point we're getting at is you put Katie Holmes with an underwritten character up against all these award, like some of uh, some of the best actors of their generation. <laughs> not, right. not with this character, not, not exactly fair to Katie Holmes. And, and you, you know, you have Rachel who's, who's an, a fine character, but who's such a, a emotional driving force for Bruce in this film. You put her up against maybe the best Alfred that we've ever seen in live action, maybe the best Gordon that we've ever seen in live action. The introduction of, of uh, Lucius Fox in the movies who Morgan Freeman brings so much levity to this thing. And it, we were sort of saying briefly before we started that this, uh, or briefly early on, that this sort of sets the template of dark and gritty reboots of which Casino Royale was one of the next higher higher profile examples. Mm -hmm. uh, and Morgan Freeman's basically his cue in these films. Uh, it, I, I think it's, the cast is... So impressive, and, and it's unfortunate that the one female role is the one that, that suffers. But yeah, uh, I don't know. We don't even really have much more to say about that. We kind of set our piece. <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, well, this will come up in the uh, the the next episode in this series. Just when you know you're about to warm up to the Rachel Dawes character, what did Nolan do? He yeah. killed her off. So <laughs> exactly, I was like, "What?" I was like, "Oh, Rachel's really getting into stuff." Oh, there she goes. <laughs> So that Batman could be sad because that's his thing. Being sad man is his whole, that's his whole Bat, vibe. Batman, sad man. <laughs> oh my God. Oh gosh. So another what? example of this film sort of taking the Batman iconography, as we've been saying, and making it more tangible and feel like something that you could see driving around jumping from rooftops is the tumbler. I remember when that thing was the picture first was released of this is what's the new Batmobile is going to look like. And I remember <laughs> being like, really? That just looks like a, looks like a black tank pretty much essentially, which is what they say in this movie. Right. Uh, and I think it works so much better in the movie than you would think. You see the concept art of that thing. And you're just like, ah, I'm used to the super stylized Batmobile. This is, yeah. it doesn't have the same pop. What do you think of the, the Tumblr in this movie? Because it's one of the biggest surprises of this film that that works as well as it does here. Well, you know, I was, uh, <clears throat> if I remember, if I remember correctly, the, um, the, uh, the engine for the Tumblr was uh, a GM. It was either a GM or a Chevrolet engine. I, I think GM, but anyway, um, you know, back then I was very, very into cars. So, and uh, you know, again, seeing the seeing the picture of the uh, of the new Batmobile, I was, I was more uh, somehow for some reason I you know don't ask, but you know I remember being focused on oh wait oh its engine is a GM five hundred horsepower and five point seven liter liter. So I was like. I was so much more focused onto that and that made a greater impression on me rather than over, you know, how it looks. So, <laughs> but you being disappointed in the appearance of it, uh, that was something that my, um, that was a sentiment that my friends shared. So, but again, I did not 
I did not pay mind to that because I was like, oh, so now I know what what kind of engine the Batmobile runs on. That's very nice. That's very real. <laughs> Again, so it so if we go back to you know what we've said in the beginning about you know approachability and relatability, then you know suddenly me knowing this information makes Batman feels more make this Batman feels more real to me. So um regarding looks in retrospect, yeah, I mean I get I I can I can see why some people would be disappointed because uh clearly back then at the time we weren't so much into um angular designs. Mm-hmm. And we were, I guess, we still love uh, corners and uh, perfect lines. But then again, like you said, they really make it work for the film, and then it just blends so well into, um, you know, sh- uh, Chicago, uh, as in quote unquote Gotham architecture, to deliver kind of like one of the most uh, exhilarating car chases. Mm-hmm. At that time, for me, also that surprises me because uh, prior to Batman uh, Begins, obviously I've watched um, Insomnia from uh, also from Christopher Nolan, and I just thought that okay, um, I don't, I cannot see you, you being Nolan, I cannot see you going blockbuster action. I can right. tell that. You will go into the uh, procedural, the detective aspect of it, well, but I don't know how you will handle action. So, for this, so one, how does he do? Yeah, how does he do? Excellent, in your excellent <laughs> regarding like ve- uh, regarding like uh, vehicular things, hand to hand combat. That was such a big disappointment, but but it works. It works for the film for for the reason that you know this is kind of like the first time you get to see Batman, so. You, you're you're still disoriented. You still have to get to adjust to things. But then, it it is also valid to see that on the other hand, um, the hand to hand combat action sequences in here suck. It <laughs> it's rather no, it's all I rather agree. it's all rather incomprehensible. However, yeah. leave him to do the vehicular stuff, and when it gets to the vehicular stuff. Oh my goodness! Whoa! Yeah. It got my heart pumping. It got my, it got my blood running. The way that I was like, I can't remember the last time I felt like this. So, uh, core memory there, you know, as as the as today's uh, uh, kids would say. Yeah, exactly. No, I I agree with all of that. Like it's you can even tell on the 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 score, which we'll get, we'll, which we'll mention in a second, uh, that the the score just like kind of like flutters back and forth like when the with, along with the cuts it's like um, <laughs> the sound design is just like do 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 pretty much because it is cut 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 and it's i think you're like you're saying it it fits this movie because he's supposed to be this sort of otherworldly presence to the criminals and so it feels like like jarring like you're saying it's disorienting uh but it it is such it is like it is night and day between 
the the chase sequences in these movies and the combat sequences in these movies. There's a reason, and this is not the movie we're talking about, but there's a reason in The Dark Knight that everybody remembers the Bat Pod. But then when it's him fighting a warehouse full of the Joker's thugs, we're all like, eh, okay, the boats and stuff. Let's go back to the boats, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's it's so heartening to see in the more recent versions of this character, the Ben Affleck version, the Robert Pattinson version, like criticize those for what you will. The combat stuff is, is much more on the level of what, what Batman should be capable of, what his training in this movie implies that he's capable of. Uh, and so it's it's nice that they're like fleshing out that side of his uh, his skill set a little bit. Yep. The other thing that I, you mentioned that I wanted to jump on is the the city streets. Obviously, Chicago is you know famously standing in for Gotham City here. Gotham here feels like a real place. And I don't know if it's because we we see... So, I think a big part of it is that we see so many different aspects of it. We see right. we see what it, what it looks like from the train that that the Waynes build. We see what, what it looks like, you know, uh, from Bruce's neighborhood. We see what it looks like in the Narrows. You know, Rachel takes us down to the Narrows and all of those different elements. It feels like what a real city would feel like. There's... Mm-hmm. You know, there's different neighborhoods that you like, this is the bad neighborhood and this is the metropolitan area where all the rich people are. And like, I, I feel like you could feel that, you could feel that come across on, on screen that, especially for Batman where, you know, it's, we've only had white people playing Batman in these things, which I, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that his white privilege sort of uh, lends itself to that, but it's really the class part of it that makes this character so distinctive and it's i think you need the movie to highlight the what the what that looks like on the streets of gotham and i think this is the one of the only movies to really do that in such a a visceral way mm-hmm. and uh you know just to uh, continue off your point um chicago as gotham here you see what it looks like from above you see it what it looks like from below you see it all the way uh to you know the basically the place where you know uh societies uh, gotham society's outcasts live you see mm-hmm. the place where the gotham it people kind of live everything comes from a fantastical place but then it is presented to you in a way that it feels like it's in your neighborhood it is mm-hmm. your neighborhood or it is a neighborhood that you know but you've just never been there and that also means that you can travel there it is uh, you are able to visit it that's that speaks to you know the uh, i guess to the like they're really treating this serious matter seriously you know it's <laughs> they're not they're not half baking anything they're they really make they really make the city as influential as the uh, as the protagonist on the world yeah the world and the protagonist are just as you know a um, let me let me borrow this word from another uh, superhero franchise you know the city and the, uh, the city and the hero are you know symbiotes you know there's yeah. there's a good there's a good relationship there and one thing really affects the other yeah yeah, they are venom. Essentially. <laughs> no, um, about that. <laughs> no, but see enough facets of Gotham and the corruption that th- again they they lay 
he lays so much narrative groundwork in that first 45 minutes or so where we see Judge Faden was paid off by uh, Falcone and Detective Flass and that scene with Tom Wilkinson's Carmen Falcone in the restaurant where there's like, there's a judge over there and there's this, these cops over here and I can mm-hmm. shoot you and get totally, you know, they're all on my, uh, you know, on, uh, I'm paying everyone off. And so I'm, I, that's, that's power you can't buy like that whole thing. So that it makes the league of shadows as horrific as what they're trying to do is we get, we understand their ethos in a, in the same way that we understand Bruce's. You know, that when he's like, oh, this this place is, is rotten to the core. There's there's no saving Gotham. You know, this is what we do throughout history. We show up like this city is done and we wipe it off to start anew. He's like, when things grow to a purging fire is uh, is natural, is inevitable and natural, I think he says. And ah, so, okay. I, re- I remember. Yeah, I remember I, okay. Yeah. And then it, it, so that we understand where he's coming from and we not necessarily empathize with what Ra's al Ghul is trying to do, but we, we understand his perspective enough that it, it makes it, it makes the conflict between him and Bruce more dynamic than just like, I'm going to blow up a hospital because <laughs> chaos, which, you know, that's a different ideological conflict, but here it's like, they're almost both trying to do this right to, to not to do the right thing, but what they believe is the right thing. And they're trying to solve the problem, but in different ways. Right. Uh, and I think that's what makes the best of these villains. That was what makes Magneto so compelling in movies. That's what makes Thanos so mm-hmm. compelling. That's what makes Killmonger. We're like, we get, we don't necessarily agree with their methodology, but we understand why they believe what they believe and so even though we want to see them defeated, it's, it's, we're more engaged than if it was just, you know, oh, I just want to be all powerful like half the villains in these movies are. Right. Yeah. And again, it, has, it, all, it also has to do with, you know, clarity and specificity, but more importantly, like clarity. It's just, it's very clear. It's very upfront. And again, um, there's merit in saying that why is it so obvious? Why is it so blatant to me? But the fact that you know it's just it's just being upfront. I guess it was very appealing to um, film going perspective at that time. And it delves into uh, the other theme I wanted to touch on was the the difference between justice and revenge. That's a big thing that this movie also raises. Yes, is the what what makes <laughs> what makes Bruce willing to go to the courthouse to shoot Joe, Joe chill, uh, you know, and, and avenge his parents' death. What makes that different than, do, okay. First of all, do you think he, he, his whole thing in this is his compassion he has for the, the thief and, uh, in the league of shadows sort of headquarters. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, you know, this guy should stand, stand trial. And when Ducard says, Oh, what corrupt bureaucrats? Like you know how that works. We understand again, going back to what I was saying, we understand where he's coming from. And it sets up Batman's rule. It was one rule with the Joker rule test in the next film, uh, of not killing and and that it's that's what separates him from the criminals. Do you do you buy that when it comes to the final uh like the the final confrontation with Razal Ghul? Because there's a lot of shades of gray <laughs> where he says. You know, he's like, oh, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And I'm like, but putting him in a situation where he's going to die and then piecing out, that's kind of like killing him. Where do you, where do you stand on this? (sighs) 
wow. Okay. I guess... I guess part of... <laughs> wow, I did not expect to be asked this <laughs> when I joined. But These are the big it, questions we have to get at here. Yes. But I would say... <clears throat> I would say that uh, conf- uh, that confrontation works more along the lines, according to what my my reading of the scene was at the time, was that um, there there is nothing there is nothing better really when um, a father figure gets to witness the moment the offspring figure, or in this case, the son figure. Uh, overshadows them, which happens to be, which exactly happens to be the case here. So, regarding like him, regarding Bruce, like exercising that idea, um, I guess it would be something that, um, that's actually hovering over his head all the way until the Dark Knight rises. And, you know, just because his hands weren't dirty because he didn't do anything to cause Ra's al Ghul's death, does that really make him a good person or somebody who, you know, somebody who's able to discern the best approach to settling scores? So... I don't know. I feel like I'm about to answer this question with even more questions. So it's um, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. <laughs> well, I think it's. I, I feel like the movie presents it in a way that we're supposed to be like, wait a minute, because you could almost say he like he's he's like I don't kill except for you know when I, when i really need to basically it's like when, or, when i have no other options like it's he doesn't kill in cold blood at least so that much is clear uh, or unless what it's trying to say is that um living in terms of you know going about your life and then you know in terms of existing being being gray being uh, you know swimming in the deep sea of morality gray is still better than um getting yourself dry on either shores of absolutism if that makes sense yeah no, and razal goals seems to be like all the way on the um extreme extremist side already so He's not worth so to maybe to Bruce from Bruce's perspective. He's, he he's not worth saving anymore. Mm-hmm. So, or even if he is saved, he would just always swim to shores, right? Dangerous shores. Well, I mean, we we see clearly later in this trilogy, the League of Shadows didn't just evaporate after this. It just it kept mm-hmm. on. Uh, but that's that's a conversation for another time. But yeah, no, I think it's it it is kind of what you said. Like he feels like it's justified in that moment. But then in the in the next one, he he essentially kills Two Face in in you know in defense of uh, of Gordon's son. So it's it's another situation where you're like you keep saying you don't kill, but you keep killing the villains of these movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a a wise uh, Jedi master once said that only a Sith deals in absolutes. So I guess that's. 
<laughs> that's that's sort of the takeaway here is you have to sometimes fudge the edges of your moral code a bit to get the job done. <laughs> yeah, morality isn't always made out of uh, uh, diamonds, as you believe. You put more pressure on it, it'll break. It it doesn't become better. So definitely. Uh, I have a few more things I want to run through, and then we'll we'll start winding down. Um, I I love how his uh, how Bruce's partnership with Gordon uh, begins here, and uh, and his the contentious relationship between him and the GCPD, which the Dark Knight really again, like I said earlier, doubles down on everything that works about this movie. That movie goes deeper in into, uh, and everything that doesn't, they, they it's, it's sort of kind of strips away a bit of. Uh, but I love the the other thing that we haven't yet seen with Pattinson's version of this character that I think we're going to get a lot more of in the next one is the formation of, air quotes, Bruce Wayne and his reputation. Because that's, that is, I think, almost as fascinating to me as him, you know, discovering, oh, I got all these, all these goodies in, in the, you know, the uh, applied sciences department of... Uh, of Wayne Enterprises that were prototypes that people don't need to know that I, that's where I got this, uh, this bat suit from, or this, bat, you know, the, the fabric, the memory, uh, memory cloth or whatever, all the different things that he has that us watching, we're like, oh, that's how he's going to glide over the city and all this other stuff. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost as fascinating as the formation of him being like, yeah, I don't care about my, my, my fair parents legacy, burn this down. Where then at the end, when it is burnt down, he's like, I'm going to build it back brick for brick. Now I have this reputation as being this drunken playboy. That, that moment when he, he, acts, uh, he acts drunk to send basically everyone out of his party. So satisfying watching it as a Batman fan. And you're like, oh, I see. He's, this, is the, this is laying the foundation for the, the concept of Bruce Wayne. Uh, buying hotels on a whim and always walking around with like two models on his, on his arms like, what, what do you what do you think about the the way this movie establishes that delineation between, you know, Batman Begins, but also the idea of uh, Bruce Wayne, the billionaire, you know, playboy, also begins. I <laughs> I guess I really like the fact that the character that uh, that has the more, um, are you serious? Kind of like um, overboard kind of like rendition here. Is the human one? Is the Bruce Wayne uh, persona, not yeah. the not the Batman persona? So, <laughs> like I said earlier, my first brush with Batman and the rendition of uh, the interpretation of Batman that sticks with me the most is uh, Michael Keaton's in Batman Returns, and you know for that all the daring dudes, all the heroics, they were like, uh. They were like trying to validate all of that so much that that was my that was my impression of the guy. So uh, for this case, you know, it was just it was such the other way around. It tries to it tries to give that uh, that overboard, that swashbuckling, that daring do you know I I go here and everyone knows me kind of persona to. Bruce Wayne rather than yeah. to Batman. And it's just it's it's very it's also it's also very interesting to see how you know Christian Bale approaches his performance based on that as well. You know, he he does this he does this with his 
eyes a lot. I I feel where he seems way too awake when he is being <laughs> Bruce Wayne. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it, it actually, um, I I put a barrier between me as a viewer and Bruce Wayne while I tear all the walls down when. It's me with Batman, if you know mm. what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you know, seeing seeing the seeing the portrayal of that, it's, and I think it's also very reflective of how we would eventually think about uh, uh, think about uh, you know the the wealthy the the moneyed people in society as well. Uh, really, really naive, really abrasive. And um, especially the especially the naivete of of them all, you know, it's just they're they're really they really are invincible. They really are over the top, as opposed to you know how back then it was always thought like when you have money, you have all the class and all the power in the world, so you are mm -hmm. always so proper, always so chic, always always so delicate. But not here. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and that and that dichotomy that you're saying about how like Bruce, you know, Bruce Wayne, Rachel points out in this movie is is his mask essentially. Now that becomes the persona. That's the performance. Uh, it, it's very very similar to what Bale does uh, does in um, American Psycho. Which you have to imagine yeah. is the movie that no, no one saw, and it was like, "Ooh, this guy understands <laughs> what it's like to pretend, <laughs> pretend to be one thing in your public face, and obsessing over like business card, card stock, weight, and font, and texture, or whatever." I guess uh, it all makes sense now. Batman <laughs> is an American psycho. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, and it's uh, yeah, it, it, Bale's commitment to this this performance, but everything. I mean, he's such a he's such a, a an insanely talented uh, performer. And generally, he came coming onto this right after The Machinist, where he was like ninety pounds or something, uh, yeah. and then putting on all this muscle. For this role, and then obviously that's a that's a, a tactic he's done multiple times over the over the years since then, for the fighter, for American Hustle, for Vice, losing and then gaining and losing and then gaining. Uh, it's it, it, he's commits not only his mind but his his full body to uh, to these roles, even something that you know is as blockbuster popcorn entertainment as Batman, and I think that says a lot about. How the how him how he and, and Nolan approached this property as as an art film, but you know for everyone, kind of thing right. as a character study with the car chases. You know, I think that's I think it's um, it's part of what makes this movie this one specifically so unique too is that it's a comic book movie, but the fact that it's a comic book movie, as you were sort of alluding to earlier, mm -hmm. sneaks up on you like it doesn't. If you went into this movie, like say you didn't know that Batman's alter ego was Bruce Wayne, you might not even realize you're watching a Batman movie until you're like, oh, you just said I'm Batman. <laughs> What's right. going on? Right. Uh, he's in a, you know, it, it, by the time you get to the costume and then the, the microwave emitter goes missing and you're like, oh, okay, this is like fully in a, in a supervillain, like uh, over the top Saturday morning cartoon, almost sort of uh, villain plot. 
it it's it eases you into that into that comic book over the topness so that by the time I, I think the part that really seals it for me is when the engineer is like, if you know, you see like this sort of the camera panning throughout like the train going around to the water main, and he's like, if that thing gets over here, uh-huh. it's just gonna blow. And I'm like, wow, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Like, <laughs> I remember that being stand that being a standout yes. to me because it was so off. Yes, <laughs> but it, it's very pulpy, and this movie isn't that. Most of the time, but then when you get to it, you're so you, you you know this character and this world so well that you're like, oh my god, we gotta stop it. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're suddenly, you're into it. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there's that old fashioned uh, telegraphy. You know the, the, yes. that that is. <laughs> it, it's like uh, you know tying uh, tying the, the 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 maiden to the railroad tracks kind of thing. You're like, oh no, who's gonna save it? That kind of thing. Um, and but I love that about this movie that it starts out one thing and it ends something else, and uh, it, it it eases you into what Batman is and the world that he operates. So that when you get to the end, another thing that I love about this film is where Gordon's like, "Oh, what about escalation?" He's like, "We they, we we are Kevlar. They buy armor piercing rounds. Now you're dressing as a bat and jumping around." Look, now we got a clown running around <laughs> that we have to worry about. And it, it makes it, it, it makes a lot more sense that, uh, you know, Batman emerges and then the villain. And, and this is something that the, the Gotham television show did completely backwards. And I know that's a fan. A lot of fans criticism of that series is that all mm-hmm. these villains were running around and then Bruce Wayne's like, fine, I'll be Batman. And then grows up and put these becomes Batman. And then in, in a lot of the versions of this, these characters, this property, Bruce Wayne be, forges this identity and this, you know, this mystique surrounding the Batman. And then that brings all the, uh, all the jokers and scarecrows and penguins and poison ivies out of the woodwork. And I think that version makes so much more sense and feels more relatable and, and uh, realistic than all the, those villains sort of crafting their own little gimmicks independently until a Batman shows up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, now that you're saying it, a good observation to have here is that it seems to be easing us in for the big game, really. Like yeah. when you when you consider this, um, you, you were saying it, you know, as kind of like easing you into the, all the popular elements as kind of like in a three act film but mm-hmm. then stepping back and looking bigger now that we actually have three films it's actually this is this batman begins this first film is the easing into the incre- increasingly bigger and increasingly popular the tone that or just a segment of a tone really or yeah that the dark knight would assume and obviously the dark knight rises would host the banquet for <laughs> <laughs> well y- the big climax of the dark knight rises is as every as everyone has pointed out by now essentially a sequence from the batman 66 movie where it's like some days you just can't get rid of a bomb <laughs> and so I, I i think that's in a way genius that, that it just leans into now the whole city is in chaos and batman's fighting in the daylight and he's got this giant bomb he's got to fly away and, and it, it, it is it, it it does feel like legitimately a comic book. So I, I think that's just something 
very unique about this trilogy that that is able to pull off. And I'm curious to see how the the Batman uh, that trilogy is going to also like if it's going to stick to this more realistic version of the character, I, or is it going to slip more? Are we going to get some supernatural stuff in in there, or uh, or you know the pulpier aspects as we were saying? A couple more things, and then I swear we're done. The score in this thing is amazing. We have I to shout that out. Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. I was listening to it just before recording because this this one honestly more than the other two. I feel like because it's Bruce Wayne's story, because there's that that warmth with him and his father, and there's like this complicated emotions going on. I feel like this is the one I've listened to the most. That's not to say it's the best score per se, uh, but I, I think it's it's definitely the one I've revisited the most over the years. Uh, any thoughts on on the score here and how uh, apparently Zimmer did did the composing for the action sequences and Newton Howard did a lot of the emotional stuff? Oh, I was about to I was about to say that. Um, oh, sorry. And no, uh, no, 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 no. It, it, it's good. It's good. It's just a great uh, launchpad for me. That's all. So I appreciate Perfect. you. Um, I would just say that that's that's so brilliant because, <laughs> well. Uh, because I think according to uh, an article that I read somewhere, I guess, uh, bringing, bringing two composers on was kind of like the uh, intended approach, like the original vision, because they were really trying to tell uh, two separate personas, two separate stories right. in one package. So, you know. You saying Zimmer doing action is Zimmer doing Batman, but then Jameson Howard would be going for Bruce Wayne. So, uh, but what I also what I also really like about that it's uh, is that you know it it respects the kind of uh, how do we say it uh, the kind of uh, signature yeah the 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 artistic signature that each respective musician is known for. And James Newton Howard, I I think I'm a bigger fan of James Newton Howard than Hans Zimmer, especially because I I, you know, I, I collect M. Night Shyamalan's films. And obviously by saying that, I'm just saying that a majority of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's films are all composed by James Newton Howard. Mm. So Suddenly, out of nowhere, um, this Batman does something to my heart. It it stirs something in me the way that uh, superhero scores tend to ignore. Not not because they forgot to do it, you know. Not because the composer for forgot, but it's just. It doesn't. It doesn't always stirring hearts. Isn't always the first thing that is on the mind when you mm. approach, uh, you know, doing music or just thinking about superheroes in general. But here it's different. You know, asking James Newton Howard to apply his signature here and making the characters feel close to my heart is something that I don't think I don't think any superhero films has done that to me before, you know, before uh, approaching Batman begins. 
because I can tell you now, um, and this is and this might just be me being very strange and weird and you know and outcasty, but um, the I can still remember so vividly the score when um, Batman's dad was pointing to a good, they were good, the family was going to the opera and he was pointing to the Wayne Tower. I can yeah. still distinctly remember every single note of of that of that bit of that musical bit of the of the scene where he was pointing at the tower, and then you can see a wide shot of the monorail afterward, and how does and how the music there bleeds into the music of the opera. It's just James Newton Howard. What are you on? And I would like to have some kind of deal, you know. Yeah. And then this is not me saying that what the Hans Zimmer more action-driven work is pointless because it's really not. It's, if anything, actually Zimmer is the person who gets the, who gets the uh, enviable position of creating the theme of the new Batman. Yeah. So there's that. However, I would always think that if this has if for the for the film if james newton howard uh you know was not a contributor or or you know or if this score doesn't have those emotional and heartfelt contributions from james newton howard i think i would only like like half of i i would only give like half a grade kind of for zimmer's core mm-hmm yeah, no. I, this is why. With this is also me saying that the score for the Dark Knight Rises, I don't really feel it as much as Batman Begins or the Dark Knight. I agree. I would say this. I mean, I, spoilers for this mega series. I would sort of say the same about the film in general. It's easy to to for when you're scoring a superhero movie to you know lean into the grandness of it. But it's like you said, there's not usually equal attention paid to the, the alter ego. You know, I think it's, you know, Danny Elfman's Spider-Man scores are amazing, but there's like, you know, 20% of that score that's that's devoted to like the, the tender moments with Peter Parker's life. And the rest of it is like, is, you know, the big swinging through the city, fighting Doc Ock, that kind of thing. And I, I think here it, it's, there are two moments in this movie that really stick out to me with this, where the score really comes through one is right after uh right after he reveals who he is to rachel and mm-hmm. then jumps off and is sailing like i was saying the, the demon bat thing dun, dun, dun. they're like pounding <laughs> batman theme i'm not going to get into it now because i won't do it justice uh and there's that moment and then there's there's the scene uh, where he's looking through the rubble of wayne manor and he finds his father is stethoscope all lined ah. up and we get that flashback to like we should at least mention linus roach as thomas wayne who I, I love the little screen time we get of him uh and, and that makes it makes me emotional that part at the end because we've been on this journey with this character and we've seen everything he's endured and it, it's you get a full picture of this man's life and perspective and he's his willingness to push through that and overcome and devote his life to try and and reverse the damage that's been done to not only his home, but his city and his family's legacy sort of along the way. And uh, that's really all sort of punctuated at the end of the movie where Gordon's like, 
Jordan says, you know, I, I never thanked you. And he says, and you'll never have to. And he just jumps off. Like, I love it. I get him. I'm getting chills talking about it now. Um, <laughs> it's, as a fan of this kind of stuff and that sort of idealism, I, it's, it's very stirring the, the final act of this film. And I think, uh, I, I, I think it, it, this movie gets all of that right and lays a foundation for the next one. I think honestly, the one of the only things that I, I would say that this movie does better than the dark Knight is uh well the score i said i have revisited it more but again i wouldn't necessarily say it's the better of the two scores but is is the voice uh the batman voice ah. is pitch perfect here we haven't mentioned it at all and i guarantee you my guest and i will spend a, a while on that when we get to the dark night because there it's just like bale goes little t- too heavy on that um what what do you, you what do you think of the voice here because he he growls when it's appropriate but he also just kind of masks it just a little bit when when it's appropriate you know he, he it speaks he lowers his tone and has that sort of raspy whisper he's like oh someone will rattle the cages you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. but he's still but he's he gets all like feral when he needs to, when he's trying to intimidate Flash. Where are the other drugs going and stuff? What are your thoughts on the voice uh, here? And and I guess how it how it it uh, adjusts for the next film. <laughs> well, um, I would say I would say that um, it's still very it's still very clear and comprehensible, and it's also kind of still like a dead giveaway that. Oh wait! I heard Bruce Wayne is using the same voice. <laughs> Bruce Wayne whispering. <laughs> but um, but I just but I just thought that um, it also helps because of the uh, of the film of the structure of the film that's built around Batman as well. It's it's still not as overwhelming. It's still very it's still very uh, careful. It's still very um, how do we say it like novice. Obviously, not like amateur, completely have no idea what I'm doing, kind of like deal. Right. But it's still very, it's still trying to. Okay, I, I I think I got it here. It's still trying to build thing. Right. So, um, so there seems to be like a consideration regarding like, okay, let's not make it too much of a focus. Let's not make it too much of a distraction. Hence. It's still, <laughs> hence there's that effect that, you know, I said earlier, I was just like, oh, it's, it's still, is that still you, Bruce Wayne? Like somebody <laughs> could ask that still. But yeah. yes, obviously the more it goes on, the horse, the more horse, horser <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> the more digitized it sounds, which yeah. I mean, also makes sense because he's, because again, you know, all this uh, this trilogy is about, um, you know, on top of on top of fear. I think it's also about being leaning too much into the symbol that you uh, leaning so much into the myth that you stop becoming that you cease to become a man. So, yeah. you know, the voice getting raspier that makes sense, but it's just it does get a little bit too much. <laughs> Over, I, I don't want yeah. It, I I mean it's possible that wasn't the intention that uh, it, it's I don't because I don't want to contradict myself. It does, it's possible that that's part of the leaning into the the comic bookiness, for lack of a better term, of this trilogy. That he starts out it like literally still kind of finding his voice, mm-hmm. uh, 
And then in the next one, he's like, oh, I got it. I got it. You'll be in a padded cell forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know. I don't, I'm not wearing hockey pads. I'm trying to think of the dialogue. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that's, that'll be a conversation I'll have on the next episode. One other thing I wanted to throw out. I always thought that the little boy who's played by Jack Gleason, who plays Joffrey in Game of Thrones, I always yeah. thought that it would have made more sense for that character to be Robin because he's he would have been an appropriate age. He's like, what, 12 here, 10? And he would have been like 20 by the time we get to Dark Knight Rises with the time jump. So I'm just, that's that'll be a conversation. That'll be a rant I'll have in a future episode, but I'm laying the groundwork here. I think that would have been a better building, as we were saying about how this Frit trilogy builds, that would have been a, a way of sort of bringing, uh, bringing it full circle and have... You know, you didn't have to bring Jack Leeson back for that character, but have that character grow up to be Robin instead of uh, have Robin be a totally, totally disconnected character who's like, you came to my orphanage one time and I saw your eyes. I'm like, oh, this is Batman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not to minimize that. that that'll, be, uh, that'll be an interesting discussion, I'm sure. I mean, but, but is there kind of like a, any, you know, solid rule regarding like, oh, uh, that kid can be Robin because he's blonde or something? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. So. You never know. He could dye his hair. I don't know when he gets older. <laughs> um, what would you say the the legacy of the Dark Knight trilogy? I have to specify now the Dark Knight trilogy because if I say the legacy of bad the, the the Batman movie franchise, that's every that's like 20 movies. And then what is your ranking of these three films? Huh. Well, where where do I even begin? I guess. I mean, if I have to, if I have to answer, I would just say this one, it presents itself, it conducts itself and successfully uh, proves itself as kind of like the blueprint for how you, for how you make an otherwise uh, fantastical character to be someone who is so relatable that you know when you talk about when you're talking about him in real life you are also helping to provide more context for the conversation of him in the in his mythical setting as well if that makes sense it's um but at the same time it also It also provides the blueprint that for too many creatives to interpret as this is the only way <laughs> that we can only approach certain materials. And so what happens is that every everything that comes after looks the same, feels the same, and, you know, It can it can be a setting from a different timeline or a different universe or a city that is like two states away, but then it would just feel like it, it's only one bridge away from uh, Nolan's Gotham kind of deal. So it doesn't have to be like that, but just because it but you know just because it, uh, just because it works then. That's why people feel obliged to apply that when it doesn't have to be the case always. 
you have to find the, the right tone for either the, the character or that version of the character that you're working with. And that's why I think it's the most blatant example of that for me is when Warner Brothers was like, hey, you did this for Batman. Can you, Chris Nolan, come on and help us get Man of Steel off the ground and do the same thing for Superman? And I like that movie more than most, but the biggest criticism people have is this isn't Superman. <laughs> Superman all sad <laughs> and broody and like as in having moral, you know, dilemmas. That's not how that's not what Superman is normally depicted as. And it's because <laughs> because they brought Nolan in to apply his Batman approach to Superman, which is and, why that Superman doesn't feel like what most people think of as Superman. And doesn't it and doesn't it uh doesn't it make you feel strange because you know earlier you shared a factoid that Nolan watched Donner's Superman in order to apply to this one but then when it comes to his time to do Superman he he applied himself into the equation basically <laughs> then, well, I mean <laughs> Warner Brothers was like Hey Nolan, here's a nice big check. <laughs> Help Zack Snyder get his version off the ground. This is what we want you to do. It wasn't necessarily uh, Chris Nolan's vision for that character. I mean, it, it, they just clearly were like, you know, we want that to happen for Superman. So they had took David S. Goyer, who wrote and uh, has screenplay credit on Man of Steel, has story credit with Nolan on that film. Uh, and they they took a lot of the same parts and and passed them over to that character and it's not it's not a one size fits all sort of thing it's the reason why i feel like part of the reason why the amazing spider-man is maybe the le least appreciated version of that character because they try to make him darker in a way that doesn't sit well with who that character is traditionally portrayed as, or it would be like making a dark and gritty and serious Deadpool movie. You can't, that's not who the character is. Mm -hmm. The character is quippy, he breaks the fourth wall. And it's not like, yes, Batman has been played different ways, but if you can't, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, you're gonna it, you're gonna piss some people off if you don't stay true to the characters. Accord. Yeah, and that's and the thing is, it doesn't seem to explore more, but then it just keeps on like, okay, let's retool this, go back to square one, but with grittier paint. Right. <laughs> That doesn't always work. No, it's a double-edged sword. It's it's done a lot of great things for yeah. cinema and the genre, but it's also sort of doomed the genre in a yeah. way. So I get it, it, it. It does, Batman does start something. He does set up a beginning. He in fact begins. A beginning yes. for, a beginning for, you know, how, A beginning for how you can tell a the same superhero story in a different way, and he also begins the apocalypse of you know telling stories featuring superheroes at the same time. Wow. Right. Okay. Uh, It's a, and, and at the same time, it feels like an outlier now because this is a self-contained trilogy and. Nolan and Bale are like, Bale has often been like, yeah, I'm not coming back unless Chris does. Uh, and Nolan's like, nah, I'm doing Tenet and, you know, Inception and Interstellar. Like he's doing his own thing. Dunkirk and Oppenheimer now. He has I, no interest in going back to this. And so it's, I respect the fact that it's a beginning, middle and end of a story. Yeah. Uh, especially now when there's like, you know, I like the, I love the MCU, but it's like, there's 
so much content that I'm like, all right, slow it down now. <laughs> like too much. Yeah, and, I don't have time for all these shows. Yeah. And I reckon that's a good thing because, um, you know, well, I, first of all, I like, I applaud him for knowing when to stop. That's the yes. first thing. And the second is that he really takes his time to build that story to, you know, earlier, like we all, like we discuss about, you know, him easing you into the certain more, how do we say it? Like pulpier or over the top aspects of the source material rather than all of a sudden. And this is, this is uh, the, uh, you know, the Zack Snyder um, films that I'm talking about. And, you know, it was just, at first it was a story about a solo superhero. And then suddenly for the sequel, suddenly it's, it becomes an ensemble film. Yeah. Well, not, not even it's, it's, we, it, yeah, that's a, again, another conversation, but it becomes a Batman movie featuring Superman, but then also like little teasers for all the other superheroes that yeah. are going to be in the next one. And it's like, yeah. what is this? And what also, story are you telling movie? And also for that film, I mean, I mean, you can cut this part out if you like, because it will be controversial, but anyway, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a second Superman film that, also happens to frame around Batman, but then at the end of the day, the winner of that story is Wonder Woman because I remember her the most out of yeah. Batman versus Superman. So right. what's up with but, that? And it's ironic because the the big like uh, shared universe movie that was, you know, that, that kind of kicked off the DCEU really uh, led to Wonder Woman, which is a story that almost... So exclusively stands apart from everything else and is still st uh, kind of heralded as one of the best of the DCEU because it has nothing to do with whatever the hell that, the mess of that franchise is, right? Especially right now, we're recording this after the whole Batgirl fiasco and the Flash fiasco is ongoing and <laughs> nobody knows what the hell is going on. And it's it makes this trilogy feel so much more of a, of a relief. You're like, oh, good. They 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 came in. They told their story. They got out, and they, they don't <laughs> have to deal with any of this crap. <laughs> right. Which is why you know, I guess, in terms of the whole the whole franchise in general, I place it really high. Yeah. But you know, just to answer your question regarding like ranking each film, my ranking would be. Uh, you know, if you can add a drum roll, that'd be nice. But it, <laughs> <laughs> but my ranking of this franchise is exactly this, in the same order of the films. Okay. Begins first place, The Dark Knight second, The Dark Knight Rises third. So it's it's interesting because I feel like the general consensus is Dark Knight masterpiece, untouchable, and then and I I I, I agree. I love The Dark Knight, but it's also like I feel like this movie is pretty close to that. Like it's, it's pretty close. Like I hold those two in similar esteem and yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's unfair that this one sort of gets uh, weirdly underrated in a way. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest with you prior to coming on to this, I was like the ranking of the three films actually changed depending on my mood or depending on mm. the day. So sometimes yeah, the Dark Knight actually takes first place, but 
coming on here and I just thought that, you know, I think it would be more professional win if you kind of like sticks to it, stick to, you know, make, make this kind of like the official statement, make it concrete, make a concrete yeah. ranking out of it. And I just thought that, okay, if I'm going to have to do it, then it begins the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. So, yeah, no, <laughs> fair. I mean, yeah. I, like I said, one in those two first top two, like you said, for for me, very similar. Like it depends on on how I feel that day or what which one is freshest in my mind. Obviously, right now the Batman Begins is freshest in my mind because we've been talking about it for so long. But uh, but no, this was a blast. I'm so glad we were finally able to get you back on a podcast of mine. Uh, let people know where they can find you on social media. Um, so on Twitter, I am NLE318. And on Facebook, I am win.le.334. Excellent. Well, thanks so much again, Win, for coming on to talk about uh, Batman Begins from 2005. I, I, I definitely need to get you back on one of these shows again, either this one or Close Watch. I seem to recall at one point on Twitter or somewhere that you expressed your, your love for the movie Stranger Than Fiction. Yes, I do. I I adore it. Um, that we film, maybe have to talk about that at some. Sure, point. I mean, I love that movie so much. I too. mean, I would thinking. also love to devote some time to talk about the film that I would say as like I've been using it as kind of like a guiding beacon for Ooh, how okay. I live my life. So yeah, of course, would be really really looking forward to it. Big thanks to film critic Win Lee for coming on to discuss 2005's Batman Begins. This is an exciting mega series I've been looking forward to getting to. Some of you may remember this was the runner up in my superhero poll that I ran in early 2022 or late 2021. I can't even remember anymore. The Spider-Man Raimi trilogy topped that. This was a close second. So I'm having already a blast getting into the Dark Knight trilogy. So let me know what your thoughts on Batman Begins were. You can find me on Twitter so far <laughs> at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. It's also a good opportunity to, to mention that there is a Crooked Table Tumblr page that I've had for a long time. I haven't really done anything with it uh, as of late, but uh, I will maybe step that up since the social media sees are a change in these days. Uh, so keep your eye out for that. If you're on Tumblr, find me there. Uh, and we'll be back next episode for The Dark Knight. Uh, I'm very excited to get into that with our guests and excited for you all to hear it. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs> 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 <laughs>